Thank you, young folks. Thank you for um, using your skills and your talents and your very breath for singing about the gospel. Come to the altar and find the blood of Christ. That's the story and that's the good news. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. You're welcome, says the government that just gave you back your hour that they took last spring. You're welcome for that extra hour to have to sleep a little longer or that extra hour preparing for church this morning. And it was such a blessing to see everybody here early this morning with an extra hour um, or at least on time. Being facetious. I do want to say uh, thank you so much, just with, with um, great sincerity from my heart, for the pastor's appreciation. I'm always amazed at your creativity, at your generosity, and at your thoughtfulness in the words that you speak. And uh, the gift cards are going to carry us through another year, which is great. We always look forward to ways to use our gift cards. But um, we're just very blessed by your kindness, your generosity, and we love us even on down to the children that draw us cute little pictures and say very kind words and sometimes funny words as well of encouragement. So thank you so much for that. We're, we're very, very blessed. And this morning is our communion Sunday. And so we will be looking at a psalm this morning and we will be looking at Psalm 112. <clears throat> the sermon title for this psalm is, are you afraid of bad news? The saints of old, as you know, the Psalms is the songbook for the saints of old, and the saints of old incorporated into their songs and sang about the possibility, the very good possibility of receiving bad news. And they sang about perhaps how we should respond to it, since it is going to be a reality of life. They took that reality and they put it into song and talked about it. Are you afraid of bad news? What is our reaction to bad news? What might it do to our hearts and our minds? Where might it send us? So, for instance, say just say 30 seconds from now, if we hear a strange knock on the door and lo and behold, police officers or law officials walk in and stand back there and there's a clergy member with them. And we all look and they say, so sorry to interrupt, but is the Stiles family here? Or is the Gilmore family here? What would we do? I mean, if you heard your name spoken, you would think not just law enforcement, but clergy. What are they going to share with me? And what would it even do to our hearts just to watch others have to go through that? Well, what's the worst news that you ever heard? The worst Bad you, the worst bad news to use a double negative that you've ever heard in your life. And and how did you handle it? Where did it take your mind? Where did it take your heart? What effect did it immediately have on your body? And why are are we afraid of bad news? Should we be afraid of bad news? 
Should we not be afraid of bad news? How do we incorporate this reality into our Christian walk? Well, let's consider some of the bad news. And this is just skimming off the top here. Let's just consider some of the bad news that we're immersed into even right now. Think globally. We have the threat of war, not just war, but nuclear war in particularly with North Korea. That threat is ever before us. And then... As a result of that, Japan wants to change its constitution to beef up its military, thinking that they need to ramp it up because of threat of war. Is this another pre-World War II kind of globalistic um, military buildup that's going on? We also have the news of Russia, Russian collusion and the Russia's impact and how they have been influencing not maybe just our elections, but also buying airtime to present very divisive divisive topics to us to purposely bring division among our ranks. Now, we have this unheard of Brexit, and we're still trying to figure out what effect that's going to have on the entire world. Uh, We even have Catalonia there wanting to break off independence in Spain. We, We have things happening that are pretty much unheard of in our Generation. We also have the threat of cyber breaches that can incapacitate governments or incapacitate uh, financial systems and even um, compromise national securities. I mean, these things are just floating around out there, making us very, very vulnerable. Is there really anything safe anymore? And we just take it a little bit more closer nationally. We have, of course, the recent Las Vegas shootings where a gunman massacres what about 59 think 59 people and then almost 600 are wounded as a result of that and we still don't even really know why I mean what do you do with that when you want to be able to say why and then even more recently we have the terrorist act in New York where a guy just drives this pickup truck down a bike path in a walking trail and plows people over another eight dead and dozens wounded. We have the recent news that we cannot escape if you're even going to use news of how now it's uh, it's Hollywood's evil is out in the open of sexual exploitation. Things that everybody already knew happen at the price of success where men and women are being used and even children by the powerful for the price of success. We have things going on in our nation that literally threaten free speech. We have our national debt that actually hasn't been a headline lately, but hasn't gone away. That is actually reaching into the pockets of yet those that are unborn. Money that is owed to cover that debt. And then we have this threat of a possible electromagnetic pulse bomb. That if you ever did any reading to it, you would realize how incredibly vulnerable that would leave any nation, our nation, in spite of a very powerful military. Be absolutely disastrous. Or just the bad news of politics that we face. We have the bad news of opioid addictions. We have the the bad news of Teenage suicide, now the number two killer of teenagers, suicide. Then you add to that what you read about 
now seems like on a regular basis of all the natural disasters. We have hurricanes, we have tornadoes, we have earthquakes, we have wildfires, and then just storms in, gen in general. And we also can take some of that global or national bad news and, and apply it to the church as well. The church does not escape it. We have, um, we have been hearing a decline of numbers in mainline denominations because, of course, they're liberal. But now there is a decline of numbers of people even within conservative evangelical churches at an alarming rate. And not just adults, but also, in particularly, individuals 30 and younger. They are not attending church. They're called the nuns. They don't really want to necessarily identify with any particular thing. Not that they're not spiritual, but they just don't want to make any kind of commitment. We also have what I recently shared from the pulpit, the threat or bad news of uh, living within a culture that's biblically illiterate, where people think where 60% of the population can't even name five of the Ten Commandments, where many people think that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount, and many seniors, graduating seniors, think that Sodom and Gomorrah are husband and wife. And you add to that the bad news of because of immigration policies and national unrest and security threats that Christian visas are being denied. People are having to leave different places. And so the witness of Christ is being threatened globally because of what is happening in our culture right now. Not to mention that many um, scholars say that the last 10 years has seen more Christian persecution than ever in the history of the church. Bad news after bad news. And then, of course, add that to just a personal problems with things that we face on a recurring basis. Disease, sickness, surgeries, a variety of crises, a variety of tragedies, broken homes, broken marriages, hacked identities, hacked financial um, entities, something as simple as just. Bad days or low grades on our report cards or or rejected friendships and just the constant pressure of relational tension that we often feel. And it's no doubt that any kind of burdens that come with bad news has followed us into this place this morning. We carried it right with us. Some of us may even feel incapacitated or crushed by what we're having to live under in our lives right now. And no doubt many of us are here because we are hoping perhaps that the almighty God of heaven can give us some kind of illumination through his powerful word or grant us some kind of comfort from his spirit or some kind of direction or some kind of relief from this. Whatever kind of help we can get from the heavens. I think that many of us are here because we would like that very much. And many of us are here because we have thought through life and we've thought through the bad news and other things and we've looked at the world and we have decided I cannot do life without God. I have to have God. And so we are here rallying around God. We're here dependent upon God because of the world we live in and because of the bad news of what we find in our own hearts that we are a part of 
the problem. So every age, every year, every family, every marriage, every relationship, every person has his or her fill of bad news. Before I read the text this morning, I just want to briefly touch on it. Why will we always have bad news and where does it come from? Of course, you know the answer to that. Ultimately, it is a result of the fall. The first bad news ever. God creates the universe. He creates heavenly beings to forever live before him and praise him. And Satan and some of his cohorts rebel against God and are cast down. And yet God in his goodness and his kindness and his purity creates what we know of as the universe, our creation, our world and all the planets and then the creatures of it and then creates man in his own image. All absolutely perfect. Everything is absolutely good. And mankind loved God, lived in perfect harmony with God. And during that age, it was nothing but good news. Can you imagine an age with nothing but good news? New discoveries, new accomplishments. Uh, the, the garden is thriving, new, new growth, new fruits, new foods. The weather's good, atmosphere's good, no sickness, no disease, no pollution, no famine. No drought, no violence, no ill will of any kind to be found anywhere. But then comes a day of testing for man's good and for the glory of God. And Satan comes and tests man who's created with the ability to choose good or evil. And he takes God's good news and good truth and he twists it and he perverts it and he turns it into a lie. And man jumps on board and rebels against God and sins against the very word of God. And then just as God were, as God warned, darkness comes and fills his soul and bends his nature now against him. And the curse descends upon all of the good that God just created. It floods it. Curses it. None escape. All and everything is defiled by this rebellion against the Creator God. And it is from that day that bad news has been upon this earth and upon us all. It's not all bad news, but it is always more bad news than we care for. And most often more bad news than we can handle. And creation because of it, as well as our own hearts and the burdens perhaps we walked in here this morning. There's a groaning out. There's a, cry, a crying out. Paul talks about it in Romans. All of the universe is just itching. There's this tension to get back into that harmony where it is to God alone be the glory. So we live in this tension. And that's where we are. Let's read our Psalm 112. I'm only going to touch on a few verses, but I do need to read all of it to get the uh, context of what the psalmist is talking about and what they're singing about. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. 
The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Adversaries. He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And I read that and realize there's something in this psalm for God's people. As you, we realize that these aren't just words, but these are God-inspired words. God breathes His power and His essence into His words so that when we read it, we're affected by it. We're challenged by it. We're edified by it. Not only do we read it, but it reads us. The scope of this psalm is twofold. First of all, it recognizes the... The accomplishments of the saints. It commends true piety. There's a reward for that. For the obedient. But it also shows that God is not unmindful to the services and the sufferings of his people. And I want to primarily address that second point. And that is the point of receiving and how do we handle the bad news. But that's not the only point in this text. So I want to briefly recognize the first point of God honoring true piety. Because here we are again with this word blessed or blessed. We read it time and time again in the Psalms. And we have read it about it in or studied it in the Sermon on the Mount. Of all things, Jesus begins his first sermon with those words. Blessed is the man. And so it's important to God that we know what it means to be blessed. What does it mean to be a blessed man? How do you be blessed? Scripture constantly reminds us of this. And in this particular passage, it is the man who fears the Lord. We learn that from wisdom literature. You can't be wise the way the Bible defines wisdom and knowledge without knowing God and respecting Him and reverencing Him and fearing Him. It's a whole package that has to fall into place. Knowing facts don't do us much good if we don't know why we know them and what we're supposed to do with them. That's why we must fear God. And again, we're constantly reminded that it's also those that keep God's commandments. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and he met on it. He meditates day and night. So you find a picture of a person that doesn't just kind of like God's word, but absolutely loves God's word. Can't wait to spend time in God's word. It's, it's like gold. It's treasure to him. He thirsts for it. He hungers for it. And the Psalms start to sound like the Sermon on the Mount. You, you get this picture of this person that is doing good things, willing to be persecuted to do good things, willing to be persecuted in order to be humble. 
in order to be gracious, in order to be generous, in order to be blessed. And so they're they're wanting their lives to conform to the commandments that they're reading from this God that they fear who has given them this gift, this book, this way of life. We reverence the word of God so much because we fear its author. The writer. So this man, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, but also in the Psalms, he's striving to make what his life looks like, the picture that God paints that it should look like of the blessed man. So he's practicing his righteousness, as Jesus will talk to us about. You practice until you get it right. He's practicing being the person that God wants him to be because he loves God. He fears God and he sees that obeying God's commandments is the way to it. Trusting. He wants to be a reflection, in other words, of the God he fears. However, all of this practicing of righteousness and this fear of God and this blessed life do not spare him from the bad news. That he will undoubtedly face periodically in his lifetime. He has his share of darkness. He has his share of bad news that has to be dealt with. And with the sharing of the bad news comes the potential for temptation. To draw him away from living according to God's commands. Think about how do we respond to bad news. What Potential direction does our heart pull us in rather to rather than pulling us to God, but pull us away from God. There are temptations that come with bad news. Perhaps our identity or our finances have been hacked and stolen. What is our response to that? We might feel very unsafe. We might feel very vulnerable. We might feel very vengeful. Or. You walk out one day to get your mail and your mailbox is smashed. What does your heart feel? What, how does it want to respond? Maybe angry. I think I know who did this and I'm going to go smash their mailbox. Or maybe it makes us feel victimized. And how might one respond if they found out that their spouse was cheating on them or that they lived a double life? Very vulnerable, very rejected, very humiliated, very angry. How about how would we respond if we heard the bad news that all of our retirement, all of our savings is gone? Stock market crashed. How do you respond when you're rejected by somebody that you thought loved you and was maybe your best friend? How do you respond when you shared something in confidence and next thing you know, you read about it on the Internet? The whole school knows about it now. Hopeless, maybe. Despair. Betrayed. Judged. But what is it about fearing God that keeps the man of God from succumbing to these kinds of potential temptations and reactions? What is it about his heart in particular that enables him to endure Bad news. He's not afraid of it. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. It's a little lengthy, but I want to quote Charles Spurgeon. 
He says, Christian, you ought not to dread the arrival of evil tidings, because if you are distressed by them, what do you do more than other men? Other men have not your God to fly to. They have never proved his faithfulness as you have done. And it's no wonder if they are bowed down with alarm and cowed with fear. But you, you profess to be of another spirit. You have been begotten again unto a lively hope and your heart lives in heaven and not on our earthly things. Now, if you are seen to be distracted as other men, what is the value of that grace which you have professed to receive? Where is the dignity of that new nature which you claim to possess? Again, if you should be filled with alarm as others are, you would doubtless be led into the sins so common to others under trying circumstances. The ungodly, when they are overtaken by evil tidings, rebel against God. They murmur. They think that God deals hardly with them. Will you fall into that same sin? Will you run to be? Will you run to the wrong means of escape? Trust in the Lord. Wait for him patiently. For if you give way to fear when you hear of evil tidings, you will be unable to meet the trouble with that calm composure which nerves for duty and sustains under adversity. How can you glorify God if you play the coward? Take courage. Do we possess that calm composure which nerves for duty? He's speaking of equanimity. Equanimity, it's, it's that level-headedness. It's, it's, it's that composure of heart. It's firm and steadfast. It's poised already towards God. Is that what our faith and trust produces? Is, is that the kind of heart we have? The kind of heart that they sang about in the days of old? A heart that's courageous in the midst of the worst of news. And we know that courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is persevering and, and doing the right thing in the midst of fear. That's what courage is. It's, it's holding your own. You know, all of us in here called by God, we have particular specific callings, roles and responsibilities that God has bestowed upon us. It might be as father, it might be as child or sibling, it might be a, a call in the church as elder or deacon or teacher, it might be as husband or wife. We have very distinctive callings that we're responsible to serve God in. Are we holding our own according to the area that God has called us to serve Him in life? Stealing our heart towards Him instead of running away from God. Questioning, God, are you for me or not? These are the kinds of questions that need to be answered before the adversity comes. That's how we have that poised heart. Hold our own. I think about Daniel. Daniel, an Israelite, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. He was young, he was a noble, he was smart. He was healthy. He had a heart for God. But the Babylonians did things different than the Jews. They didn't eat the same way. And so even as a young, a young guy, just immediately he finds this tension between how am I going to obey God, not break God's law, but yet not receive the wrath of this foreign king. But he is diplomatic and he finds a way 
to still honor God in these tests and trials that are coming to him in this new atmosphere that God has placed him in, in captivity. He learns to hold his own. And he is very favored and those that are over him recognize his giftedness and his, and his talents. And it's not long before he rises and rises even in the kingdom of captivity. And it gets to the point where he rises so high that Babylonia, now Persia, the king of Persia wants to set him as second in command over the entire kingdom. That's how capable of an individual he is. But the other capable individuals and leaders under the king are very jealous and they're angry and they don't want to see Daniel rise to this kind of position. And so they look, try to find some dirt against him. The problem is that he was so righteous they can't find anything that he's doing wrong against him. So they get smart and they decide, well, if I can't find anything that he's doing wrong, then I'm going to find something that he's doing right and make a law against it. And so they know that he will, as a faithful worshiper of God, he's going to pray every day. And so they come up with this great idea and they present it to the king. Look, king, I think for the next 30 days to show you the honor that you deserve, that nobody should pay to pray to anybody or anything for 30 days except for you. Of course, if you're a king and you hear those words, man, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think about it? I signed it in law. Penalty of death. So that's where Daniel finds himself. And that bad news, good news to his enemies, but bad news to Daniel directly comes to Daniel and it's assault to his faith and trust in God. So what does he do in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10? How does his heart respond to this bad news that he has just heard? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That's what his response was to this bad news that threatened his life. Does this mean that Daniel doesn't fear lions? Of course he fears lions. They're the king of the, the beasts. One little bite can crush your bone like crackers. But he fears something more than the king of the jungle. Something else is more important to him. And that is his God. Sure, he respects the power and he respects the nature of the beast, but he respects the power and he respects the nature of God Almighty even more, the king of kings. And so what does he do? He just keeps doing what he had been doing because it's the right thing to do for him in his life. He's praying for Jerusalem. He misses it. He wants God's glory back there. He wants God's people back there praising him and worshiping him and offering him sacrifices in the temple. He has to pray for these things as a man of God. He has to offer his own worship and his own respect up to him. And he does it three times a day. One's not enough. Two's not enough. For Daniel, it's three. And he's got to face that direction. That's how... Focused he is on God and God's kingdom and what God is all about. Not lost in this allure of even the power that he almost had. His heart is firm. And what does his heart do? At the sound of bad news, his heart takes him right down to his knees. 
in this poise of worship, adoration, respect. I mean, after all, the Bible doesn't say, Thou shalt not be eaten by lions. But it does say, You shall worship God and God alone. So that's what Daniel does. Too much at stake for him to fail to pray. So he drops to his knees. And that scene you find that in the big picture Daniel wasn't trusting in anything in this world. Wasn't trusting in any earthly king. Any earthly governments. Powers. Any earthly comforts. He was trusting in the God that rules over all of these things. That trumps all of those things. So losing things including his life. Is not what rules Daniel. What rules Daniel. Is his love. For the living God. So to trust God like like this means for us to keep our eyes on the things of God. And the person of God and the being of God and the power of God. And to trust God like this means that no matter what comes, the most important thing for me is that my heart is in a right, right relationship with my saving creator. To hallow his name. And we become more protective of his character than even our own. Daniel saw, clearly saw that God had placed him there in that season for a time. And that little spot of earth, little spot of borrowed earth, that little room with the window, that was his duty. That was the, the nerve of duty that he had. It's what God called him to do, to pray and to, to do the best he could to lead where, where God opened doors. And so, in essence, he's saying, this is my kingdom outpost and I'm going to hold it. No matter what news I get. And serve God at any cost. You could put it like this, we have to be more aware of God's care. Than the world's troubles. And the world's troubles become bigger than God's cares. That's when our hearts get weak. That's when our hearts are prone to respond inappropriately. And run away from God and blame God instead of back into his safety. Trusting God. So a steady heart knows that it must serve God at all costs under any conditions. And rebuke. Temptation. And this psalmist talks about triumph. Now, how do you triumph in times like these against the enemies that want you to run away from God? Well, steady heart rebukes the temptations that come to our minds. And boy, do they come. Do they not flood us with all the possibilities of evil? I could take this route. This I could go in any direction. And it all be evil. But a heart that's steady, reasons, and sees the big picture and sees it for what it is. And, and tells that voice of temptation, you want me to do what? Because that's what comes in. Here, do this. You ought to do this. You ought to do this. 
You want me to do what? You want me to be vengeful? You want me to plot evil? You want me to return evil for evil? To put others down to make myself look good? You want me to, to, to now I have a good excuse to self-indulge? Because I've been victimized or I've been abused and now I can go out and spend more money than I have. Or now I can go look at things that I have no business looking at. You want me to use this as an excuse to sin? And to eat away at my soul? You want me to use this as an opportunity to think thoughts and just take my mind places where it has no business going? God, all of those things just add to the bad news of life. God's called me to a life of good news. I choose not to respond in those ways. Like Daniel, I choose to keep my post and hold it according to what God has called me to, whether others do or not. That's called a triumphant conversation against temptation and sin that we should have on a daily basis. So Daniel trained his heart to trust God. You know, Daniel was tested many times and triumphed many times. He didn't get to that point suddenly. It was practice. Practice being the person that God has called you to be. Spiritual formation. Discipline. Remember, practice means I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right. And God will give us lots of opportunities and tests and trials in life to get it right. For the purpose of setting our hearts free from turning to sin. From setting our hearts free from constantly going after that deflated life preserver that's just going to cause you to sink instead of running to God, your Savior. Psalms like this sometimes often seem impossible. You think about the Sermon on the Mount as well. What, can I, how can I do this? No, what's impossible is living a life of sin. That's defeat. Through the power of God, this is possible. He makes it possible. He keeps it Possible, And he wants us not to keep living in sickness, but to bring us to wholeness and health. So how do we end this kind of challenge and this kind of truth? But with this, keeping the good, the, the big picture in mind on a daily basis. And that is that the good news always triumphs the bad news. We have got to know that in order to be victorious. The good news always triumphs. He says in verse 8, his heart is steady. He won't be afraid until he looks in triumph. So whatever bad news we receive, we have to tell ourselves, wait a minute, that's not that that's bad news and that's real. But that's not the whole news. That's just a part of it. That's just a piece of the picture of my life. It's a whole lot bigger than that. God is up to a whole lot more. Yeah, maybe I've been hurt. Maybe I've been I've been Betrayed, there are many things in my life that I have no control over. But Christians take refuge in the good news of Holy Scripture. The good news that God has sent His only begotten Son into this world of bad news. With a message of what? I have good news for you, world. And the good news is that you can be saved out of this entrapment of sin, this bondage of sin. You can be saved out of Only having the option to respond to sin with sin. You can be saved out of that and be restored by grace into a relationship with your creator God. 
You can bring good news. You can bring light into the darkness when the presence of the Son of God, the Spirit of God comes into your life. That's always good news every day, no matter how bad the news may be. The good news of promised forgiveness. What do we do? But what do I do if I fail after I've asked Christ to come into my life? What do I do when I do when I sin? Well, you get humble and you just confess your sin with a contrite heart. And he promises that in this world of good news, you can be forgiven for that. And it will not be held against you. You have the good news of justification that because of Christ paying your punishment for your sin, you are justified before the eyes of God. Legally and judicially. It will not be held against you. You have the good news of sanctification. That he is always with you. Producing that holiness which sets you free from the idols. Sets you free from clinging to things that are false securities. And you have the glorious good news of glorification. We, we have that good news every day. It means that no matter what our bodies are suffering or will suffer... The day will come when it will be removed and in some mysterious way we will be restored back to some form of useful youthfulness or at least a form that will enable us and our bodies to do exactly what God calls us to do to serve him in the heavens. A glorified body. It means that we'll never ever face death. Again, glorification means that we'll... Our own bodies will possess a light, this 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 luminous light from the spirit of God and being reflected by the spirit of God and a weightiness to it, a glory to it, as it was originally designed to bear being image bears. Glorification means that we will never sin again. Glorification means we will never sin again. Not against each other, not against ourselves, not against God ever again. That is the good news. That is true every day, every second. And these are the truths that we want to keep in mind when we're barraged by bad news. So the good news always trumps the bad news if we are disciplined if we are willing to keep the big picture of the glory of God in mind as we're learning to pray in the prayer that Jesus teaches us, we want the kingdom to come here on earth. And that's how it comes. With hearts that hold their post. They keep it steady and opens their eyes. A world where all things, even crosses, even Whips, even piercings, even mockings, even betrayals are used for good of those that love him. So what bad news are we allowing to cast doubt on the character of God? What bad news is in our life that perhaps is incapacitating us or just burdening us to the point of not being able to serve him this morning? Are we holding our own like Daniel? Can we not take that bad news and put it up against the good news that God has given us in the gospel? Can we take all the hurt and the betrayal and the pain and the power of sin and submit it to the truths of the gospel? Because whatever 
bad the world brings, Christ is triumphant. The good is always better than the bad. So let us choose to live before the face of God this morning by trusting in Christ as our Savior and as our deliverer of our sin and others as our deliverer of bad news. Perhaps you're choosing Christ in your heart this morning for the very first time because you just heard the good news of the gospel that we don't have to stay stuck in sin, but there is a Savior and a gracious God. Well, maybe we need to hear the good news time and time again so that we can choose to live in it and pilgrim through yet another day. But as we worship God, we come into worship now. And as we come before the table, let's say to ourselves, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the bad news. My heart is firm, steadfast. In Jesus Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.